What's up, y'all? Bienvenidos. It's your girl, Dalis Jasmine, and welcome to Hello Latino. Today's guest is Colin Espinales, and before I go into his story, I want to tell you about what happened after we recorded. I was seven months deep into my job search by the time we recorded, and my spirit was pretty beat down and defeated. After this recording, we had a heart-to-heart. I told him about my journey, how hard it was, how hard it was on my spirit, and Colin did something no one had previously done before. He acknowledged my feelings without saying the cliche, don't worry, you're going to get there. Now, we work at the same company and have the same mission, and I just want to take a moment to say, Colin, thank you for seeing me. Now a little bit more about Colin Espinales. He moved to Chicago from Oklahoma in 2008 with two suitcases and a theater degree. After performing improv around the city, he began to focus on his next phase in life, exploring areas of work which led him to waiting tables, to customer support, to client management, and to now a program manager for LinkedIn's diversity, inclusion, and belonging team, focusing on professional development for members of underrepresented communities. You can find Colin exploring his beautiful city of Chicago still, 13 years later, playing with his two sons, gardening, connecting with others, and learning their stories. Sound familiar? Get these food in. Hope y'all enjoy this conversation. I like literally I was connecting with people from the conference that were just so inspiring and like were just people that I wanted to have in my network in my life right and a few very few people like you stood out to me where I was like this guy's amazing like you just had this authenticity about you that I think is just it seems really natural and even just jumping on this call right now I'm like you just have this really you just it's it's authenticity like at its finest thank you I really appreciate that big shout out to you you. It was such a good conference. It was oh so Oh my fun. God, that conference, yeah. shout out to Latinas in Tech, great conference. And yes, again, yes. shout out to people like you who came in and really just rep their story and rep their authenticity. And just again, big, 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 big kudos to you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. That was that was like my first, uh, my first go in like the new gig. So it was like, it was like such an opportunity. Like I've been working with Latinas in Tech before, done a couple of things. And so it was really exciting to like see it all come together like that. Yeah, love it. And we'll talk more about this new gig at the very end. But first, (laughs) let's start with your story. I want to start with the first question. And that's how do you identify and why? Yeah, that's a, uh, it's a fun question. Um, I was actually listening to one of the older ones. And I was like, immediately, I was like, I I knew what I was gonna say, like, I identify as Latino. That has been a journey for me. I feel very comfortable saying that now that is not always been the case. But then I listened to your episode with, um, with Choosy. And he said, like, human first. And I was like, man, that's such a better answer. It's like, obviously human first. (laughs) Uh, But as far as like that kind of identification, it, it, yeah, Latino. um, But it's been a journey to get there. It's been a really uh, interesting self-discovery journey for that. Yeah. And can you walk us through a little bit of that journey? I'm yeah. so curious. Yeah, for sure. So um, it, it has a lot to do. So my, my dad is from Ecuador and he moved uh, to the States when he was 12. Um, and like a lot of, you know, uh, a lot of immigrants, a lot of first generation um, immigrants, sometimes you, you, you embrace 
what what you were, what your experience were, and, and, and you lived that. And sometimes because of the circumstances, you want to get away from it. Right. And um, and that's, you know, what my, my dad did. Uh, he, he lived in New York through high school and then joined the army and then was was out like he, he didn't go back to New York, um, moved to Louisiana, met my mom. Uh, we sh- she got pregnant. And about a month after I was born, we moved to Oklahoma. And so I'm actually I say born and raised, but born in Louisiana, raised in Oklahoma my entire life. And um, didn't really get exposure to what that side of the family was like. Uh, saw my mom's family a lot more, maybe saw my dad's family once a year, um, but didn't have that connection like the rest of my cousins did, right? It felt like we were a little bit on the outside. Um, we didn't learn Spanish. They all spoke Spanish. Uh, they knew the culture. They they lived that and, and we did it, right? And um, as far as like how I identified it, it made me not feel like there was the Latino side of me was a thing. Um, predominantly white area, uh, white friends, white family uh, that I saw, um, white school. <laughs> and so it, it helped me lean towards that side of my family. My mom did the cooking, amazing Cajun cooking, like so good, but but never learned like what what does, what what do Ecuadorians cook? What, what do they eat, right? It never felt like that part of my culture um, for a very, very long time. I mean, it, it was, I mean, I, I went to high school. I felt like that college. I stayed in Oklahoma. So very much the same thing. Like, uh, again, just kind of feeling like a, feeling like a white kid with the last name Espinales was, was kind of how I always felt. Um, even moving to Chicago and for those first few years, didn't really understand what that meant. Um, who, who that side of me was and, and give myself that opportunity to explore it. And uh, it wasn't until, so so let's see, I started at LinkedIn about six years ago, uh, and, uh, six and a half years ago, actually, next week. And that was the first company I worked at that had employee resource groups. And the, that opportunity for, for people in specific communities to come together. And I loved that idea. I've always been Mr. Student Council, Mr. You know, like, I've, I'm always <laughs> like, let's get people together. I love that environment. Yeah. Um, but it took a lot to join the the Latino Employee Resource Group. I, I honestly, I did not go to it for a long time. Um, there was always a feeling to me, and this is something that I recognize I put on myself, that I was not going to be accepted. That people were going to see me. Um, and, well, one, they didn't see me as as Latino. I, in my mind, I look white. I looked white. Um, or they're going to go, "You're fake." You don't speak Spanish. You don't know the culture. Who are you coming in here acting like you're one of us? You're not one of us, right? And so I I was very hesitant to join. I joined every employee resource group as an ally, right? I was there for everyone. That was one I was really, I was kind of scared to join. Um, and, And it wasn't until a couple years at the company that, um, and I know we'll get, we'll get into my career in a little bit, but but diversity and inclusion as a conversation was happening a lot more with my clients at the time. I was I was working in in talent acquisition uh, or, or consulting in talent acquisition, and so that became more of a conversation. Um, I was really lucky to have the opportunity to to run a presentation on that and and realize like, oh, this hits me a little bit differently. I'm talking about this in a different way than I've talked about anything else in my career. I want to lean into that. Um, that happened around the time that 
my wife got pregnant with our first son. And I had this moment of going like, he is going to be an Espinalis, but he's going to be even less Ecuadorian, right? He's going to be, I'm 50, he'll be 25%. And, but, but that last name is still a thing for him. So like, if I don't know how to explain it, what happens to his kids and, and the further generations, is it just, mm. does it just become a last name that means nothing? And so that kind of pushed me to explore a little bit more. And then I was really fortunate to have a group of friends at work, um, who really pushed me on my identity and 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 challenged me to lean in a little bit more. I, it was, it's so funny because I think back about that crew and it was like that. It's almost like a like a movie. Like it was such a diverse crew, <laughs> you know. It was like there's someone from this group and this group. We're all together, but I'll never forget. And I've, I I tell them this all the time. Like this was such a pivotal moment where we were we left the office to get lunch. And I don't remember what happened. I don't remember who looked at me on the street some way or what they said. And I don't even remember what I said to respond, but I remember one of them looking at me, it was Nadia. Uh, and she turned to me, she goes, I always forget that you think you're just a white boy. And I was like, oh, hold up. <laughs> let's let's, <laughs> let's explore this a little bit more. And, and that kind of challenging of myself mm. to understand, like there is no monolith of a Latino of someone who's black, of, of any identity, it allowed me to, to explore that in a way that, that made me accept what it meant for me when I say I'm Latino, right? When I say that, I recognize that that is, that is a newer thing for me. It's not, I did not grow up in a specific environment. Um, I don't speak Spanish, but it doesn't mean that, well, one, it doesn't mean that people don't look at me like that. And so that's something I have to, you know, I have to learn. And two, it doesn't mean that I'm, I can't embrace that side of my heritage. I can't learn what that is. And I can't make those connections and, and feel part of a community that, that honestly has embraced me more than anything. You know, I, th I, I think back, especially to, to last year when, when I couldn't go to the office, who were those people I still stayed in touch with? And it was people from that group. Our, our resource group is, is called Ola and like, my boys from Ola in Chicago, like they got me through last year and we text all the time and we would call and like, I, 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 I don't know what I would do without them. Right. I don't know what I would do with that, without that community. Um, and that's, that's, I think to me been a really cool opportunity to help share that. And again, like, I love that you have me on here because I think one of the most exciting things for me is as I worked up in, in that employee resource group, I had the opportunity to talk a little bit more about myself and my journey. And I, after every one, there would always be another employee who pinged me or, or said, Hey, can I chat real quick? And I was like, Hey, I don't know if you know this, but like I'm Latino or I'm Latina. And like, I also did not know that side of my family. And it's been very hard for me as an adult to understand what that is and how, how can I live that right without, without feeling inauthentic. And so it's been, it's, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's, it's like a weird subsect of, of individuals. It's like these come from two different sides, but but to me, it's it's such an exciting thing for me to like get to talk to you and say like hundred percent, like I identify as Latino because that is that is a journey to get here, and I I like I love that I get to say that. 
Yes. So I'm glad that you got asked that question. I'm glad I get to say yes. that on this kind yes. of platform. <laughs> so shout out to Nadia oh my and God, Jazz babe. and Monica who pushed me on that. You know? Yes. Oh my God. No, it's a beautiful story. And I think it's one that people need to hear because I, you know, I can't even imagine so many people in the in la comunidad who are still feeling like, oh, I don't necessarily belong because I don't know the culture. I really don't know Spanish and like there's things, right, that they think they have to fit these boxes to be Latino enough or Latina enough. Yeah. But, oh, you yeah. know, it's one of those things where it's like you have to bring people in. And I'm so happy that you had that experience where people embraced you. And I didn't even think of it in that way either. I didn't think of you as a white boy at all. Yeah. And that's the interesting <laughs> I thing. I was like. <laughs> so I'll never forget, we have a we have a program at work. And it's it's specifically to help advance careers. Uh, it's, it's like a couple day workshop for for Black and Latino employees, um, and and it was such a life changing experience for me, such a career changing experience for me. But I'll never forget there was this woman from Omaha, and we we hung out the entire conference. And I remember that the last day or, or workshop, whatever you want to call it, the last day. Um, we all went and had dinner and me and her were sitting across from each other. And I told my story and she was like, Colin, I have the exact same feelings. And, and that was my, my, my story. And I remember looking at her and going like, girl, but you look Latina, you know? And then going like, oh, wait a minute. People do the same thing to me. Like it's, it's just, it's a Mm -hmm. mindset thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's really, it's, it it has been such an interesting journey of, of like self acceptance. Right? I think that's been the, the most exciting thing is just like the more I've leaned into accepting myself, the more comfortable I've been able to share that, which helps other people get accepting of themselves. And it, it's that snowball effect. And it's just like, I don't know, that that really, I think, has really driven me to continue to to put myself out there on platforms and, and areas of saying, how can I, you know, and we'll get into work in a little bit, but like, uplift everybody in their in their journeys but specifically when it comes to like what i'm passionate about like in in being latino is how can i help that 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 individual do that do that in their way right and however they need to be to accept themselves um so that they flourish because i know the moment that happened for me that's when i took off like i was doing fine (laughs) but that moment of like real self-acceptance i was like nope i know how i'm showing up to work if you don't like it get out of my way because like I'm not going to deal with that, right? Like I am my most comfortable self now or working <laughs> and and it came <laughs> yeah. from that that moment of acceptance of self-acceptance. Yeah. And that's and that's one thing I really want to highlight because what I was hearing from your story and even what you're saying now is like when you start to accept yourself it's hard to not be it's hard to feel like you won't be accepted by a group when you haven't accepted that part of you in general, yeah. right? And it all starts like what, what you said, like it starts with that self-acceptance and I love Brene Brown and she says this quote and I can't, I'm going to butcher it. Like hundred <laughs> percent. Okay. Everyone but butchers the Brene Brown quotes. Like she's got right. them out there and no one knows them exactly. She's got so many, <laughs> but she says something like owning your story and owning your narrative is probably one of the bravest things that you will do. But once you do that, like it's a game changer. It's uh-huh. like, well, how did I navigate this world without really owning myself and loving myself and really discovering and taking time to know my story and rep my story, right? And embrace it. And I think that's the the powerful part about what I'm hearing from you is like, you started to own that story. And now that you're on these platforms telling the world about it, it's like, yeah, more and more people are starting to accept themselves and feel okay with their own story. And I yeah. think that's just a very powerful thing. So 
more kudos to you, Colin. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's been a fun. It's it's been fun. It's been fun getting to know myself. Yeah, like that. getting to know my family. Like yeah, that. I, I I realized I knew exactly we were going to be talking about this, right? Like that that um, assimilation for that 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 immigrant and how that it can impact their mm-hmm. children, right? Like I I recognize that as my right. story. And I realized, I was like, I don't think I've talked to my dad about this. <laughs> so I had to like call him. I was like, hey, we've never, like, I don't want to, I don't want to seem like I'm putting you on blast on a podcast right now. Cause that is not it. I think that's like a really hard thing in these conversations, especially like if your parents don't talk about it, like my dad, even telling him that yesterday, he was like, look, there's, there's parts of my story. Your mom still doesn't know because it's so hard for me to come to terms with. Like, I don't talk, I, I just, it's been 50 years, I, w- I have not talked about it. Like he he dropped his middle name at a point and was like, and we still didn't know what it was. Like I just learned recently, cause it was like, it, you know, there, there were things like that that were just so traumatic. And, but I remember telling him this and I was just like, I, I don't want it to come across as like, I'm blaming you for anything. Like all I'm asking now is just like, if you feel comfortable, when you feel comfortable, not if, cause I, I this needs to happen for me too but when you're comfortable i'm here for you i want to listen right i want to know those parts of my story because that's part that's parts of my story too um so yeah it's 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 a balance it's it's really it's a hard conversation to navigate i think especially with your parents um and even on the other side of it too right like i had the conversations with my mom and like you know I'm not saying you as a white woman made him do this, right? Like this is, this is a larger picture, but it, it, it can just, it can get so, um, so complicated that I know why it took me 30 years <laughs> to feel like we're ready to talk about this now, right? Like it took a long time. And I think that that's the thing about, I mean, I'm, I won't say every immigrant's like this, but I think a lot of immigrants are really, really quiet about their stories. And there's still parts of the stories of my parents and my tios and my tios that I'm learning about that I'm like, what? Like, I had no idea that was oh, a thing, yeah. right? Yeah. And I think it's it's partly because, one, I think like for myself growing up, it wasn't something that I thought about. I want to know my parents' story. Like, you know, let me ask them. It was no. not even, it was not even in my like thought process right. until I got older and like, like what you were saying, like you were kind of just figuring out yourself and self-discovery for me. That's when it happened where I'm like, I want to learn more about my parents, <laughs> about yeah. where they come from, how they got here. And really just sitting down with them over the years and like little bits and pieces that I've put together and just asking them like, what happened? Tell me about this time. Tell me about my abuela. I never met her. Tell me about my, you know, this, this part of the town or this part of Honduras. And like, there's parts of it that I'm still learning and I'm realizing that there's just power in asking. I think it's so interesting too, because and not interesting, but like the real stories I think come from the family like that. Right. And, and cause I, like when I, when I had that moment, I remember like going on Amazon and be like, what books about Ecuador history am I going to find? Right. Like I yeah. want to get that history and I, I got them and it's still yeah. t- it's four years later, I'm still trying to read it all. But like that, you know, don't get me wrong. Like, the Spanish colonization of Ecuador is very important history. That's not the history of like why my dad left, right? Or why my family left and what was going on during those times. And, and even in a textbook, it's different than hearing his side of it. So it's always fun it's to look exactly <laughs> a little nuggets he drops yeah. every once in a while. That was always the joke. Like anytime you would have some, I remember I had like a high school girlfriend come over once uh, and we were, 
we were all in the living room and I started having a conversation with someone else and my dad was having a conversation with her. And then all of a sudden, like we would like, we heard him saying something about like, like starting riots in the streets. And we were like, whoa, 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 whoa. like we've never heard this story. Like, what is this thing you're telling? Like this stranger. And like, it's just interesting. Like those little things come out. And so it's, it's, it's cool to like get that discovery from him. And then again, how does, how does that play into who he was, who he is, how that played into like our upbringing? What, how do I internalize that? Um, it's yeah. Again, just, just like a fun journey to be on. It's deep. There we go. Yeah, it's deep and it's it's a fun and windy road to get to that place, right? Especially yeah. with our parents that I think for years and I, I empathize with them so much now. I'm like, you guys work to the bone for years trying to support, you know, I'm the youngest of seven. So seven yeah. of us in the household and you didn't really have time to sit down and talk about your story. Like, you, you know, and none of us really asked because, you know, we're, we're kids trying to navigate our world, our first generation world, you know, in a different way. Yeah. But now being able to sit down with them and ask them questions, I'm just like blown away. And I'm like, we always talk about this generational trauma, which is real, which is true. But there's also this generational power, I think, that we need to really like own and embrace. It's like there's so much history and value and beauty and just like just like richness in yeah. like who we are and our stories and the stories that live within our families. There's one, I'll tell you this quick story. There's yeah. one um, Brazilian producer that I love. His name is Sango and he's like produced for Drake and like all these other amazing people, but him himself, he includes his Brazilian roots into his music. So it's mm. really, really cool. But I follow him on Instagram, big fan. And he posted something that really resonated with me. And I think it's something that I just want to share with you because it's kind of what we're talking about, you know, kind of listening to our parents' stories. But he mentioned that his grandpa had passed away and that he wishes that he could have asked them more questions. He's like, I didn't really get to know my grandpa. And he's like, my grandpa was the museum of our history. He was like literally the living, breathing museum of like, where our families came from, the histories and like from a very, very different perspective that he felt like he just let himself down because he didn't ask him more questions. So I feel like that's what we're doing, you know, for yeah. our generations. We're asking those questions and getting to know the stories that live within our, our generation so we can pass it on to, like you said, your future generations. And like, it's just power. There's yeah. power in that. I love that. It's it's so true. I, I, I've always said like at some point, I like, I'm going to just like, sit down with my dad. I'm like, I'm gonna write a book about you. Like I'm going to interview, I'm going to interview you for like a month. You know, I, like, I want to get it mm-hmm. all out because I know you have those stories and I just, I don't want them to disappear. Like I want to know, I want to know all of you. I've seen, I've seen the sh- the sides you've shared and oh, like he's my hero, right? Like, the, you know, like I, I, we always joke how much like I'm like Carlos and <laughs> it's like, but I want to know all of it. Like, I want to know all of it. So Yeah. And speaking of that, I don't know if you are comfortable talking a little bit about your dad's story, but just curious because, again, part of this um, platform is really knowing who you are as a whole and that's knowing where your roots are, right? So starting from Ecuador and your mother, how do you know a little bit about your dad's like immigration story and why he came to the United States? Yeah. And a lot of it was told at a young age. And so sometimes I like question I think I've asked him a few times, like, can you confirm I'm saying this is right? Because it seems absurd. <laughs> and he's like, no, it's real. But like, you know, Ecuador was, I mentioned there were riots. Like it, it, there was a rough environment in Ecuador for him growing up. And it's its one of the reasons we have I've been twice. 
Um, and he's been very protective of us the entire time of you don't leave, you know, you stay, you stay close to me. Right. And, um, it, it comes from him, but, you know, he came out, like I said, he came in when he was 12. I can only imagine how that young of an age and seeing some of that grows in your mind as you, you know, as you get older, but he, um, he was there and my grandpa, uh, was retiring. And at the time, depending on what you were doing, he, he worked on boats and um, a lot of places, you know, if they said you're going to retire, they, they would, they would try to try to off you. So they don't have to pay retirement money. And, and there was a sense of that happening for him. And so someone, you know, someone he worked with was like, you know, I, I think you need to get out of here. Like, I think you need to go to the States. And, and so he initially went my grandpa they basically it took a few years for everybody to get there i think my grandpa went initially with a sibling or two and then a couple more siblings my mom my dad is the middle of five and so it was it was kind of a slow thing and then actually recently i found out he almost didn't get to come here because he hadn't been going to school in years because no one was checking up on him and apparently what they would do i think he said one of his friends worked in kind of like worked um i realized i just did air quotes and no one's going to see me do that uh he he, uh, he he was one of those people who was trying to um you know he's he's doing the riots he was he was one of those people proactively you know protesting and he said what they would do was instead of them being the ones to kind of instigate it is they would go and find the kids and say look throw this throw this cock, Molotov cocktail, or whatever, and, and bounce, right? Get out. Cause they'll, they can't catch you. You're 11. <laughs> they'll catch me. I'm a, I'm an adult. And so for years and, and they give them a little money. And for years that that's kind of what, you know, he wasn't going to school. Cause it was like, well, this is a little bit of an easier thing to do. And so then he had to like focus on his grades, do that. He got, you know, he came to the States and, um, was in, was in Washington Heights. Um, so very, very Spanish speaking. I remember growing in New York as a kid and I, I remember when friends would be like, oh, we're going to go to New York. I'd be like, but you all don't speak Spanish. How are you going to get around there? Cause in my mind, oh my in my mind, you only spoke Spanish in New York. Like the billboards are in Spanish, the music's in Spanish, the people are like, I did not know <laughs> there was like, I did not know anything else. You're like, you don't uh, speak Spanish. Yeah. I was like, how are you going to get, how are you going to get anywhere? You know, like, what oh are you going to do there? <laughs> Um, so that was a learn, that was a learning moment. <laughs> there's other, there's other things outside of Washington <laughs> Heights. Um, but you know, there's, and again, like, I, I think this happens a lot with, with people who move here and, um, some of the old ways of parenting come with you, right? It wasn't, um, let's sit and talk about what happened, right? It was, it was, oh, let's get the belt, no. let's get, yeah. And so whatever it was <laughs> and, and, um, and they came on. They came down on him hard. They came down on him real hard. And and I don't, I don't know. I'm I'm skewing this. Maybe cousins are going to reach out and go like, hey, I've heard a different side of the story. But like, it seemed undeserving. Say it like that. Like he 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 did not feel loved for a long time. I, I and I'm putting his words in that I, or my words in his mouth on that one. I don't think he would ever say that. But um, I'll say I wouldn't have felt loved if if I was kind of like that. And so it doesn't it didn't surprise me. He he graduated army get out of there. I think he was based in Washington for a little bit. Um, and then from there, from there, uh, started working on, on helicopters, which brought him to Louisiana, which is where he met my mom, my mom's family. Um, 
I think my great grandparents came here, but they, they've been in Louisiana forever. They're like part of that. Like, I don't know. Like I, I always loved going back there because it was like such a small town. Everyone knew who my gramps was. And Leroy, Leroy. It was just like that kind of thing. Um, they met, uh, my parents met, so funny, they met at a dance club. And I remember my mom telling, <laughs> my mom and my dad met. And I remember my dad told my mom, like, you're never going to remember my name. And my mom was like, you're the only Latino here and your name is Carlos. Like a thousand percent, I'm going to remember who you are, right? Like there's no way I'm not oh going to remember God. who you are. Uh, and so, so yeah, they, they started dating and they got married a couple years later. Um, and like I said, yeah, that, then he went from helicopters to airplanes and moved to, moved to Oklahoma to, to start working on, on airplanes. Mm, so you were raised in Oklahoma. Yeah. Yeah. I moved, I like, I think, I, yeah, I was in Louisiana for a month. Uh, my dad actually was already in Oklahoma when I was born. Like he had already started working there. So he came back. I think he met me when I was like two weeks old, I think. I think he did, He wasn't there when I was born. Okay. I, I don't know why I thought you were going to say two years old. I was no. like, you met your dad at two years old. <laughs> no. <laughs> like, no. What? no. <laughs> I just met my father. No. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so no. So then we, we just moved. reunited. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why I'm learning everything. Uh, <laughs> no. So, so yeah. Then we moved to Oklahoma. Uh, for my dad's work. And that's where, that's where we've been. That's where my parents still are. None of the siblings are there anymore. We all, we all moved out, but that's where, that's where my parents still are. Okay. Got it. And I know you did talk a little bit about, you know, you didn't grow up with your, your side, you know, of Ecuador or learning about Ecuador or eating that type of food. And I'm just curious of that journey of you living in Oklahoma, you know, what does that upbringing feel like? I've only been to Oklahoma once and I went to the zoo and all the animals were asleep. And I yeah. was like, what is this? Was it the Tulsa Zoo or Oklahoma City Zoo? There's like two. The Oklahoma City Zoo. All right. Yeah, I know. Remember that. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, this is, and I, you know, San Diego Zoo is known for its beauty. Yes. So I was like, oh, this, not every zoo looks like that. <laughs> no, few zoos look like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but just super curious because I want to kind of transition into your life, you know, in college and like where you are now. But just curious about, Growing up in Oklahoma, what was that like? What was that like for you? And what was it like leaving Oklahoma? Yeah. Um, growing up, like I, I had a really good childhood. Like my, my parents are just so loving and so supportive and just did did so much to provide for us. I mean, it's it's again, it's like one of those things like I never put it as like, oh man, that's like the immigrant hustle. But then like when I think about it, I was like, no, my dad worked nights for like a, a solid month where I would only see him in the morning, right? Like I, ne I never processed that as that's different than my friends. I just thought that was my dad's job, right? Like it, it, it was never hiding. It was just like, well, this is what we do. This is what we are doing to provide for you. Um, it was, uh, so we, we lived in Broken Arrow, which is like a suburb of Tulsa. And um, again, it was kind of that like traditional suburban childhood for a lot of it like i i i think part because i didn't recognize or i didn't i didn't choose to identify as being latino at that point um i <laughs> i hope no one's offended i felt like i grew up with just like a strong white privilege of just like this ridiculous confidence in everything i could do and like i think it served me really well still right like i recognize what it is now and like i know that like i'm i'm 
fortunate to not always have that self-doubt and like sometimes to just walk in any room and feel like, okay, I, I can be one of you all. Uh, you know, like I'm, I'm right there with you. But in my mind, I, I was no different than anyone else. Like I remember saying, and I hate that I used to say this, but I used to say like, the only thing Hispanic about me is my last name. Like, and I, cause I honestly thought it, um, played sports, did theater. I was a big theater kid. Um, that was kind of my, my way of getting out. Um, so I actually, I, I did theater and I mentioned like student council. I was just like, I, I, any way I could be active. I just loved making connections with people. I just loved hearing people's stories and just being friends. Like I just, I just loved having friends. <laughs> and Great I remember, yeah, the same way. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. Uh, follow me on Instagram, follow me on Twitter. Uh, yeah. so, uh, but I, I remember I like, again, like my parents were so supportive where like, I told them, I was like, I'm going to I initially, I actually went to college for theater education. I told myself, like, I'm not going to make it anywhere. I, not that I, I'm, I'm not. I didn't want that. That wasn't the aspiration. My high school was so good to me and let me be who I thought was myself. And at the, at that time, it was myself, right? Um, I've grown a lot since then. I'm a very different person. But at that moment, that's, that's who Colin was, right? And I was like, I want to come back here. I want to come back here and teach. I want to be on the stage doing what these teachers, who I still am in contact with a couple of them, like, they've done so much for me. Um, so I went to school for theater education in a, a school called University of Central Oklahoma, which is in Edmond. It's right outside of Oklahoma City. And uh, again, predominantly white, predominantly white. I, I can't. I, yeah, predominantly white. But again, like to me, it was like, eh, OK, this is this is what I this is what I know. This is who I am. Um, co couple couple different, um, you know, co couple different pockets of people. But um the majority of the town, I would say, is that. And then um, <laughs> I'll never forget my my roommate at the time was also in theater education. And that kid, I mean, he's actually going. Well, I, I don't know if I can say it. he's he's moving up in education. I'll say it like that. Uh, <laughs> he's moving up in education. Um, we were both going it, and I remember he was like, "Did you sign up for this test? We have to do this. We have to do this." And I was not a good student. And I was like, "We got to do what? I have to take a standardized <laughs> test." And I remember that like. It was like my end of my junior year. I was like, drop the education. I'm just going to do theater. <laughs> I was like, I'm, I think I can do it. Like, I, I was like, I've, I've gotten the credits almost. I can graduate in four years. Like, um, at the time I was dating uh, a, a girl who was also a performer. And so it was just like this idea of like, oh, after school, we'll go do this. And we'll, you know. Um, and to me, it was always improv. Like, improv theater, that, I, I had dreams of like, comedy that's that's where i wanted to live that's where i wanted to be saturday night live was like the thing i remember the, i was gonna say I, i'm like saturday night live <laughs> I, I mean that that was at, at this point i should be retiring from it like that's that's how i envisioned my life right like i remember at a mm. young age watching it i watched it all throughout and it was just like that's that's what i'm gonna do and i'll never remember like senior year like we're all graduating we went around the class and i was like where's everyone going what what are you doing and it was like I'm going to go study at this grad school. I'm going to do this. Like grad school was a very uh, logical next step, right? For a lot of a lot of people, and I remember going like, "No, I'm moving it. Moving to Chicago. I'm studying at the Improv Theaters. And I'm going to do it." And people were like, mm -hmm. "And I was like, no, I'm doing it." And I told myself like, "I graduate this day, August 15th. 
I just threw a day like I was like, this looks like a good day. Um, I still sell. <laughs> I celebrate August fifteenth every year. Like come into Chicago, I, I take yeah. it off every year. I go to the first place I ate. I walk around. Like I love this city. The city's given me so much. And um, but I did it, man. I, I came out here, waited tables, learned from the theater. I was there every night watching performers. I made a team. I made other teams. I started performing around the city. Like that was to me, and it was never a question of like should I leave? I think part of it because both of my parents left their families, right? Like there was never this feeling of like, I'm leaving a lot of people. Yes, I had my family and friends, but like my closest role models, my parents both left their families. And so it didn't feel like this thing of like, I'm leaving, like I can always come back. Um, right. And they were so and I supportive. Think that's I want to highlight that yeah. because I think that's such an important point of like our parents. I think that that fearlessness what I was telling what I was talking about that like generational like power yeah is that our parents were so fearless when I think about just you know your your dad just imagine leaving a country and just figuring it out and you know in a in an environment that was hard that was very you know old school Latino which I grew up with that so I get it yeah and it's like I feel that, but it's also like, I'm fearless and I, I left for school and I love traveling the world because I'm like my parents, I think they passed that down. And to me, that fearlessness, that like desire, curiosity to just learn about the world and like start new and start fresh. So I just want to highlight that because I think yeah. that's part of the power that we inherit as, you know, sons and daughters of immigrants. Definitely. <laughs> it's so true. And I, I think like it, you know, Oklahoma is not a city. Like even the big cities, <laughs> and again, I'm using air quotes, are yeah. not big cities. They're, you know, um, yeah. and I remember it was one of those things like, well, my dad lived in New York. He was a kid. Like I, I'm an adult. I mean, I was like 21 when I moved here. Maybe it turned just turned 22. Um, but I was like, I can do this. Like I'll figure this out. Like I've seen him do that. And I, I, I can do this. I'll never forget on the plane here. There was a woman who her, her, fiance or husband or boyfriend or whatever he was was in the military he was on leave in chicago and i remember we sat next to each other on the plane i was telling her you know why i was visiting or, or moving she's telling me her thing and if you if you're ever flying to o'hare airport there's one train it's the blue line and it, like it, there's only one train in and out and and i remember like both of us going there she we separated we got back and and i was like i just i had a feeling i was like all right i know where i'm going i'm just i started going and i was like do you know where how to get where you're going and she was like yeah, I need to wait for this other line. And it looks like, and I, and I kind of was just like, all right, cool. And I like, I left her, but I remember like thinking in my head, like, you're going to make it here. Like, you're going to be okay. Cause like, I'm able to look at the, the map and understand like how to get around. And that's enough. Like I can figure this out if that's, if that's it. Yeah. I hope she's not in the airport anymore. <laughs> like in my mind, I was like, I don't know how long, how long did she she's wait? She's still waiting there. But, yeah. She's, she's still, still her heart is like, where are you? Uh, but but yeah, I just remember being like, I can do this. Like I literally like just the two suitcases I had and just like excited to just, just get to learn about who I was, right? And not knowing where it was gonna lead now, but just like, this is what my dream was. I have the people behind me to support that. And like, let's do it, you know? Cause that was hard for my mom. She had to tell people like, yeah, he graduated college. He's working at a Chili's downtown in Chicago. Like, like, you know, that's, that's not feeling too of like your parents saying that it's like, oh, yeah, I don't want to let you down. Right. Right. <laughs> but they never, they yeah. never made me feel like that. I remember actually at one point when that's I had good. a job, like I was, I was working, I had a salary and <laughs> insurance and a buddy yeah. of mine moved to LA. He, me and him had performed for a long time. 
And she was like, she was like, don't you still want to do it? And I was like, eh, not, not <laughs> like, I did. she was like, but what if he, what if he got cast in something and, and he did that? Would you go? And I was like, you are so supportive. But no, like I don't. I that's that's not it anymore. Like I'm, I, yeah. It was it was it, it's, and and I think that's they, that is one thing about them that's just you know like I I I really when I think about like the dad I want to be like how can I always be supportive of you you know even if I'm not sure I understand it like yeah it's it's so such an important thing that snaps to your parents on. yes. Yes. But how was that transition? So you were performing around the city, you were in Chicago, you were living that life, working at Chili's and doing doing your thing. Yeah. And what was what was a turning point for you where you're like, all right, it's time for me to, time. to go in a different direction? Yeah. Um it's funny because I think the writing was on the wall, but I was not willing to look at it. <laughs> right. So I um it, it was really funny because when I was out here performing the majority of people had temp jobs. You had something to do during the day because you needed to be open at night, right? I learned very quickly waiting tables probably wasn't the best job because like I could only work lunch shifts. And especially like as I started to become a better performer, like I needed my Friday and Saturday nights open and that was the moneymaker. And so it was like, it was really hard. I eventually got a temp job somewhere, but then Groupon became a thing. And Groupon actually was hiring improvisers to work customer support because they didn't want to give someone a script. Oh, wow. They said like, you, you were literally, you came to the city to train, to get on stage and not know what you're going to say, connect with someone, listen and, and do a whole show, do that for a customer. And it was like, it was so bizarre. Cause you went from like all these people drinking and performing and hanging out at night. And then like in the morning you'd all be like, Oh, okay, here I am to work. And like, it was literally just like a big room of like a hundred improvisers. It was the most insane experience, but like, um, that is so crazy. Yeah. I had no then, idea. Yeah. It was, but I, it's so funny. Cause I, I've had, you know, I, those moments of like imposter syndrome are so real. Um, especially as you start to work more and like you meet these people who went to college for these things or have been, you know, master's degree, all, all this that I'm like, I was never exposed to that first of all. And, and also like, it was never my drive, but then you recognize like, oh, those little things I learned in improv, like that's my strength. Those are those things. And again, I think it, it's, it's not my identity, but it's my education and being able to embrace that in a way and, and accept that and say like, you may have your master's and that's fine. You've never been able to just get on stage in front of hundreds of people with no idea what you're going to say. And I'm very comfortable doing that. So we both have our strengths. And it took, you know, it took a while for me to say that. But once I recognized that, it's like, oh, this is my power. Like, this is something companies don't, that like, they, they can't teach you. How do I use this, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so actually, I met my, my now wife, through improv. We met in level three of improv um, when I moved out Ooh, here. Level three. Level three. That, and shout out to level three <laughs> level crew. Three. I mean, I got that was, that was the crew. That, they're, they're still, it's so funny. We joke, this did not happen, but it, it was like, it was almost like someone took a hat of all those improvisers and was like, pick names, that's who you're going to marry. There are so many couples that came from that crew. No way. <laughs> it's so, so funny. Yeah, it's level so three, bizarre. Level, level three, y'all. Level three. Find your soulmate. That was the one. Yeah, yeah. Take an improv class. Find your soulmate. Uh, but she was. We were just friends for a really long time, and then all of a sudden, like, we started dating, and and it got a little serious. And I remember her being like, "Hey, you say you want to perform, you're not performing. 
you're not trying to put yourself out there like you were. So either put yourself out there like you were or like focus on your career. Like I'm not going to marry someone who's just like coast, like no offense to any improv mm. teachers. Like I have friends who are improv teachers as a career. That is a hard career. She's like, that's, that's not it. Like if I don't think that's it for you and I don't think that's it for my relationship. So we need to figure this out. And I remember like, Ooh, shout out to her. Oh yeah. Yeah. Whoa, she, I, I need to meet this girl. Yeah. <laughs> she's, she's my rock. I mean, she really pushed me and and I was doing customer support at the time, and I remember being like, "All right, cool. What's what? Who, and, and I, for me, and this is not just because I work at LinkedIn, but like connections are what got me where I am. And at the time, I was working on a very specific customer support team, where like I was meeting with the sales partners pretty frequently and the sales support partners. And one of them was like, "Yo, the team's growing. I think you could apply. I think I think you could do this, right? Like you've done one side of it. It's just doing the other." And I applied and I got it. Right. And, and, and so it changed the landscape. I was now, I was managing clients and it was cool because I kept, I, 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 again, that's maybe it's the improv in me, right. Where it's like, if you're going to give me an opportunity, I'm going to, I'm going to say yes. Like, I'm just going to go into it. And at that time, so this is like the travel side of Groupon. That's, that's kind of the side I was focused on. And I got to do a bunch of different projects with it. Like I, I did like a little sit in sales, uh, got to like help, advise with a new product they were like launching like i was because i just kept being like yeah i've done these aspects of it like i can do another aspect of it i know what they thought like and just kept like snowballing and and slowly had had touched so many different aspects of that department um and then i was like i'm tra travel was not my baby like that was not <laughs> wasn't my calling <laughs> and i kind of fell into it and so i was like what's next yeah. for me and that's when when linkedin was posting a role for uh, at the time what they called like customer success reps um and it was basically a, an opportunity to they have they have like a talent solutions product a recruiting product um and it it was to support small businesses they had never supported small businesses who had used this product other than like the sales team and i applied and i remember again having that moment of doubt of just like they flew there was like a hundred of us i think in north america who got hired at once they flew us all to headquarters it was very bizarre i was like this is surreal uh got to go like mountain view see like google apple like all those like stuff i just never been exposed to and i remember the last day of training i was like we, we went to a bar and i was just like i feel out of my league like these are these kids are all younger than me they've been like they had internships like who am I? And I remember saying that to a manager. He could like see something on my face and he like pulled me aside. I was like, what's going on? And I told him that. I'll never forget. He's like, Colin, do you know what I did before I started working here? I was like a, I was a bass player in a band. Like it, I travel, I traveled as a bass player, but like there's something I have that they don't have. And there's something that you have that they don't have. And you just need to unlock that and just own that. Um, and that stuck with me. I mean, that's that's always, it's one of those things like I realized I was doing, but I didn't hear it like that until that moment. And then I was like, oh, cool. I can do that. Wow. <laughs> and it just led to more and more opportunities. And it led to where you are now, right? A thousand, a thousand percent. Yeah. So so going back, like as, as I started in a small business and as I started seeing more and more or getting to larger and larger accounts, that diversity conversation started becoming a real thing. And I started to have it with clients. I'll never forget. We had uh, like, I don't know if they were monthly or weekly, like webinars that we would offer for all of our clients. And once a month it was on diversity recruiting. 
and I got assigned it once. And I remember as soon as it was done, I went to the woman who was like managing who did what. I said, I want to do this one every month. And if you're okay with it, I would like to do research to learn how to enhance it. I don't want it to be the same every month. I think we we can do more. There's more here. Um, and honestly, that was like the first time where I felt like I didn't just stumble into something. It was like, oh, this is something I'm really kind of passionate about. And like, how, how do I do this? I've never, <laughs> I've never been passionate about something like at work like this. What do I do? And so like, that's where I remember I met with every employee resource group lead uh, in Chicago. And I was just like, I, help me understand. And that's actually where I met. I, I mentioned the, the Ola boys. Um, and I remember telling them, and as I told half of like, I want to understand what you are doing as, as a resource group. But then I was like, I told them my story as well. And I was like, I'm telling you all of this because I need you all to hold me accountable to be active. Cause I, I'm, I will talk myself out of it. I, I will, I will get in my head and I will not be active. And I, I, I need to do this for myself. I need to understand what this is for me. Um, and, and a man did they hold me active? Like they, <laughs> they, they had me and, and it was, it's, it's such a, it's such a beautiful thing. Cause I think like, so current, I say currently I, it, it, my tenure ends at the end of the month, but I'm also like, in addition to my job, I'm right now the North America co-lead for our employee research group. And the idea that like, I've put myself to get to that place uh, is very like, I got goosebumps just saying it. Cause like I, I, four years ago, I would never have even said that. Like I felt comfortable as a member. Um, but it just came from again, like just that, like be comfortable with yourself, accept who you are more people are going to accept you. And, and I just learned. And so I decided four years ago, right, when all that stuff was happening, I said, like, this is where my career is going. I want to learn how to be a DNI practitioner. Um, how do I do that? W what do I need to do? Right. And, and for that, it was a lot of like, well, first of all, there's no, there's no path to that kind of work, which is so interesting, right? There's no one way to get there. And so it was a lot of networking, again, like learning from the people I was working with. Um, I, I, we have this, it's beautiful. I love this, 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 we call it culture camp at LinkedIn, um, which is basically they fly, they fly globally leaders of employee resource groups of uh, impact groups, like we have a social impact or like a go green initiative. Um, and then we have this, mm -hmm. this thing at LinkedIn called in day where they take one day a month to let, to let employees give back to the community, to themselves, to each other. So at the time I was actually leading in day in Chicago as well. I was, I was like the, the Chicago office lead for Ola and I got invited to go to culture camp and, um, I, it was such a cool opportunity to just like network and meet some of the people. And there were people from the Dibs team. So we call it Dibs Diversity Inclusion and Belonging team. Mm -hmm. uh, Nicola and Nuhaman, who, who are both on the team right now. And I remember they they are the, like one of the greatest takeaways I had from that week. Because that, like it was Love. it was an opportunity for me to say like, this is what I want to do. Like, let's yeah. talk. Let's get there. And and just that networking and them making those connections for me. New introduced me to her her manager, Michelle. Uh, who's my mentor right now. I mean, we, we stay connected for years. Um, and all these people who saw things in me that like, I didn't always see in myself and like, let me into conversations to say like, you know, this is how we're thinking about this. This is what we do. Looking at me as like a trusted advisor to their thought process. Like it, it really changed the game for me. In addition to me, like continuing to lean into like the conversations with clients. Um, I actually decided what I was going to do 
to help me get to that place was I, I applied for a role working with global accounts because I knew global clients were definitely going to be talking about this and putting money behind it. So like, if I could get into that, maybe I'm not going to go back to school, but I could at least say like, I've been there. So that's what I started doing. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, after, you know, it was, it was a long process, a long journey. There was doubt of like, is this really it? Especially in a time like last year where I was like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if this is the impact, the, the greatest impact I can have. Like if my ultimate goal is to really make it equitable for every employee at a company, is it on a DNI team? Is it on, is it as a manager who's making sure they're hiring a diverse slate? Like I had a lot of doubt last year. Um, so much so that actually when this role opened up in January or February, I I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't apply. I was like, I, I'm really, yeah. I was like, I, I put myself for a lot of roles last year and, and none of them came to fruition. And it like mentally was wearing on me. And I was just like, I told myself at the beginning of the year, like, don't apply for a few months at anything. Just leave it. Be happy with where you're at. And then people started pinging me. Hey, did you see that role? Did you see that role? I was like, yeah, but... And I remember I, I, I sent an email to Michelle and I said, hey, you know what they're looking for. You know me. I mentally cannot handle another rejection. So like, <laughs> if you don't think that I'm qualified for this, that's totally okay. There's so many qualified people out there right now. I just, I just don't want to do it. And she was like, I think you should do it. I think it, it, what's the worst that would happen. And, and, and you're like was, another rejection. Right? Exactly. Yeah, I, like, <laughs> men, I'll have a mental breakdown. Like that's the worst that's going to yeah. happen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it was the exact opposite. Like I remember mm. even like that first round interview just being like, even if I get a rejection, that conversation just helped affirm this is what I want to be doing. And it's, it's either here or it's somewhere else, but it's going to happen. And that was with the manager. That was with my manager right now. And then I met the team. And I remember like, I, cause again, I had that self doubt. I'd never been a program manager before. And I like, I really spent time of like, this is everything I do as a customer success manager. This is, this is, these are the lines that of like, this is what you do. And I remember one of the interview panelists was like, Hey, I just got to tell you, you have the skills. You don't have to keep selling us on that. And I was like, okay, <laughs> cool. Like, like cool. yeah, I'll take that. Right. And so, it, and then it's been, Again, it's been really exciting because I think the more you, the more you're comfortable, and the more you lean into things, the more people see that, and the more opportunities come out of that, right? Like, I sometimes think about the role I applied for and the role I have now, and I don't think it was sold to me that way. And I think they changed a couple aspects because they said, "Well, Colin's strengths are in this area. This is where he's passionate about. Um, how do we?" And this is kind of what I do as a job. Now. I was like, or, or certain aspects of it. How do we let Colin? leverage his experience employee resource groups to help broaden that out right so i currently i'm on the growth and development pillar we have a few different pillars with our, our dni strategy and part of what i get to do is be the, the 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 professional development contact for our employee resource groups and and help their visions come to life and help help be there to be their ear and just say like what are you all thinking how how can i bring you in how can we work together um mm to give your, give your members that equitable experience. Yeah. And that's been, that's oh, been it. Yeah. Beautiful. It's, it, it's, it's like, I get, I get chills thinking about that. Like I, it, it happened, like, but like I'm, I'm, I get to do this, right. It's, 
it was such a, it felt like such a long journey. It was felt so hard, but I, it's, it's been such an exciting thing to be able to bring to life. And so that's actually where the Latinas in tech thing came about. Um, one of the aspects was like, instead of just sending people to these events, how do we start to think about it as like a, an experience for our members, right? On their larger path of professional development. How does Latinas in tech play into that, right? And it's, so, so it's cool. Cause like, Ola, that, that our resource group, that was the first little pilot that we did. And now we're getting to take that to the other resource groups. Um, Love. We're doing that. It. Yeah. So this month actually outed in, which is our LGBTQ group, we're sending a handful of employees to lesbians, uh, who tech and um, kind of the same whole experience. Like, what are we doing internally? How are we making you all feel that community? Because that was what I heard from the Latinas at LinkedIn, which was so interesting to me. It was like, we did like a word cloud before we went. I'm like, what are you trying to get out of this? And they're like, we need the community. We want to be here for each other. And now watching them make these connections and people who are like, I, I'm in Omaha. I don't get that leadership exposure like someone in San Francisco. Well, now that San Francisco Latina leader is seeing that person. They're, they're able to connect. And it's like, yo, this is my job. Like, this is <laughs> this is so cool. <laughs> like, it's it's great. Oh my God. Yeah. And like I said, one of the first things I noticed about you was that authenticity. So I can just see how this is just, you could just flourish in this role. I already know I'm like, oh my God, like he is so perfect for this role. I don't Thank even know you. what it is, but I just know, <laughs> I know that authenticity really does shine through. And it's, it's something that you really can't teach a lot of people. You know, you either really embrace it and you own who you are, which I know you did work on, but yeah. Just the way that you, the way that you talk, the way that you come about is just that pure authenticity. And I just want to like, want to remind you of it because that is a power too. And I think the more authentic you are, the more people can one relate to you and the more people can connect with you. Yeah. And I think that's the power that again, people just, some people just naturally possess it and live it and embrace it. And I think you are one of those people. Thank you. And so, and I think again, on, on the other end of like comunidad, I think community is so important just to feel seen and heard. And that's one of the things I've learned through this podcast and yeah. through just having these conversations is that we need more spaces where people feel seen, heard and valued, right. Where yeah. people can just be their authentic self. And I think that thing with authenticity, it's that sometimes we assimilate, right. Kind of like our parents. Yeah. Sometimes we feel like, Oh, we can't really embrace the side of us. Cause we don't know, you know, like we don't know if we can totally rep it or we're just not, embraced right so we kind of hide and we kind of go back into our shell and i think slowly the more that we show up authentically and as ourselves that we can really just inspire community and have community really feel seen and heard and you know like just represented and i think that's the power of it but yeah oh my god i love this conversation yeah. i know we're coming to an end i, I hate it i hate it <laughs> two hour podcast we'll do a two-part <laughs> yes, we will. One in person when it's yes. when it's you know official Please. when it's officially time. Because you're in the Bay but, Area, right? Mm, currently in San Diego, gotcha. but I was in the Bay Area. I just gotcha. moved to San Diego for COVID, but we'll see when I go back. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I know we kind of skipped through our cafecito and chisme. Usually, that's the portion <laughs> where we talk about where you're doing now in your career, and we just naturally went there, yeah. which is beautiful. <laughs> I haven't even been drinking my coffee. I've been so like in tune with you, like. <laughs> I literally there's there's a uh, it's it's oh my gosh I'm gonna blank on what's called now oh Bia's Bia's down the street from me and I was like I gotta get one of their cafe con leches for this my wife is like you do I was like oh yeah she, she said I gotta get a coffee for it like uh, any excuse to go get one of their 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 if you're in Chicago find Bia's they're, they're 
they're sa- Cuban Bias? sandwiches. Bias, yeah, yeah. Bias, Bias Cafe Mariano, I think is what the full name is. You said you said Cuban, Cuban. pastries. Cuban. Oh my god. Yes, they are. Oh my god. It's one of those places. <laughs> my dad. It's like walking distance, and when he comes to visit, he walked once and was like, "Just so you know, I'm gonna have breakfast from there every morning. Like, don't ever cook for me because." This this is don't ever like, don't ever do breakfast. Like, I got to go, I gotta go to this. It was that, and then we actually found an Ecuadorian restaurant near us, and it was so cool to like no watch. Way. You know what's weird? Again, like I don't I don't always identify with that. The smells of that food, I was like, oh, this smells like Abuela's place. Like I didn't real I don't remember what she cooked. But that I just remember, gave me chills. Right? Like that I just rem- gave me yeah. chills. I was like, wow. I remember the smell of this. This is, and I remember, and now every time he comes, he's like, what's is it La Pena? Can we, can we order from La Pena? I was like, yes, we got to have La Pena. <laughs> like that is happening. <laughs> okay. One thing I'm going to ask you one question before we do our closing. How, tell us about Ecuadorian food. What is like a traditional <sighs> dish and how can we integrate it into our yeah, diet? <laughs> that's, how, that's it. So, so I'm also a pescatarian. So like I have like a skewed version of the menu, right? But what we, we always get like, they have such good seafood at this place. Um, they have such good seafood and, um, oh, what do they call it? It's not a tamale, but it's just like a tamale. It like melts in your mouth. It's like this cheesy, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting what it's called. Um, is it a pastelito? No. <laughs> you know what's I'm funny? trying to guess. Yeah. I'm Ecuadorian. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because other, I think like, oh, other, is this? <laughs> other, other restaurants I think have seen it and it, they'll basically just call it a tamale, but it's, it's, it's more like starchy is more corn and and just cheesy it's just and it like melts it melts in your mouth but what's funny is actually when i think like especially when i was doing those research of like what is ecuador and what is ecuadorian food uh the soups is something they talk a lot about right like it's such like a soup based culture and it's funny because one of my dad's stories and i think this is like a good <laughs> good like aspect of like <laughs> some of his childhood he at one point his his childhood was like it's like 100 degrees outside and he was like i don't want soup anymore like it's too hot <laughs> and my my abuela was like you don't want soup i'm never making you soup again and she she never made him soup again <laughs> and it's like Ooh, that, that is like, when you think about like the assimilation <laughs> oh it was God. like that's a good representation of like him saying like no soup and it's wow. like every book i've read is like soup is ecuador you know and soup <laughs> is ecuadorian <laughs> Yeah. So, oh my god. It's, um, oh my god. It's the smells for me more. Like the food, the t- it tastes great, but like when you hit that smell, I'm just like, wow. It takes me back to just that hot, hot apartment that they lived in with one bedroom with air conditioning. Mm. Like everybody mm. huddled in that one room, right? Um, hearing the music outside, it was just like such a vibe to me. And it, again, like it felt like New York was a whole different world. Um, yeah. yeah, they only spoke Spanish there. Only spoke Spanish. <laughs> only, only spoke Spanish. <laughs> Are you excited for this night's movie to come out? Yeah, you know what? We wa- I saw the preview and I was like, my, my wife goes, "I really hope you get to watch that with your dad." I was like, "Me too," oh, because like that would be so cute. He, I remember we went to New York when it was still on Broadway. Uh, mm. It was this like ten, like fifteen years ago, something like that. And I remember we couldn't get tickets, but the, he's not a Broadway guy. Like for him having a theater son, yeah. he did not care at all about any of that. <laughs> uh, he cared about me. He didn't care about us. <laughs> but I remember him being like, "If I, 
I will only go to one show if we can get tickets to that one. And so like, I have to watch this with them. I cannot wait for them to come out. You have to. Yes, yes. You have to get some Cuban pastries, some Ecuadorian food. (laughs) Just seeing that representation on screen, it's just like, it's it's so cool. And again, like, my, I know we're like way over time, but like the struggle of like, I'm learning what it means to be Ecuadorian, <laughs> but the Latino culture has always embraced me, which I've always thought is so cool and interesting, right? Like I'm exploring what it means to be Ecuadorian, but like, I feel very comfortable saying like, I don't know your background or things, but there's something that bonds us, right? Like we were all put together in this one group and like for better or worse, like we might as well make it better, right? Like we might as well just learn from each other and just bring it in and, and help people be themselves, like accept who you are. My therapist is going to love how much I've said acceptance today, by the way. Yes. <laughs> yes. Whole other therapy session. Oh my God. Oh my God. No, I, man, I love this conversation so much. Thank and you. I do, and I do want to point out this, this movie in the Heights, it's like, this is not an ad y'all. This is kind of mad, but not an ad, <laughs> yeah. but like, it's, it's just beautiful. Like you said, yeah. <laughs> But it is beautiful to see the representation because I think that's what's been missing for our community is a movie where it's just about Latinos. It's just yeah. like the richness in the culture, the diversity in like the intersectionalities of Latinidad, right? And yeah. just so many beautiful things that I'm already just seeing from that movie. But real quick, I want to tell you before we do our closing. I know. It's like we can keep talking forever, yeah. but I'll keep it short. <laughs> but the main the main actor, what's his name? Um Ramos, something Ramos, yeah. the main character of In the Heights. I read a story about him or his story, and he talks about for a long time being in being in theater, being an actor. They used to tell him, speak more American so that you can be culturally ambiguous or ethnically ambiguous, and people won't know and you won't have to fit in the in this only like Latino box. And he said for a while he thought it was a box. He thought it like was it was you know like a bad thing until he started to own his identity and then he got Hamilton and then he's like in the heights and like the star of in the heights and it's just like it's beautiful and this is what we've been told our whole lives and this is I think what bonds a lot of Latinos together is that when we're here in the United States it's like we are kind of in this box people expect us to look a certain way to talk a certain way to dress you know like they put us in this box and they want to see us and perceive us a certain way. And on the reverse side. And we're breaking side, that mold. On the reverse <laughs> side, if you don't talk like that, that doesn't make you less Latino, right? Like I remember the opposite happening to me. I was constantly mm-hmm. being given scripts of like, John Leguizamo did this one man show. Colin, you you should do this. And I was like, this isn't me. Like I, I, I feel mm-hmm. very uncomfortable faking a Hispanic accent. Like I don't know what that means. Like that's not what I'm going to do. Right. And that's okay. Like that doesn't mean I'm less Latino than anyone. It just was like, that's not my truth. What is my truth? And I, this is, you know, like, um, it's always fun when you get to see those people. It's like, Oh, that person is Latino, Latina. She didn't, they didn't mention it at all. Right. Like it's just who they are. Right. That's just part of the character. It doesn't identify who the character is. It doesn't like it's, it's, you can be and just be, and you can love that and lean on that. But like, just, just be you, you know, be your true be, self. Oh, snaps, 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 snaps. All right. Well, let's, let's do our closing. <laughs> and what I love to do here with our little cafecito, that's the, I'm, it's still full, by the way, I didn't drink a sip of it, but <laughs> so, so into this, but let's close with our reading these. But before I want 
people to have a chance to connect with you. So what's the best way that people can connect with you? Yeah, I would say LinkedIn's probably the best way to connect with me. So um, I, I, I think it's, I, I sent it to you and I'm going to blank. Colin, I swear I'm the only Colin Espinalis in the world. I've never <laughs> met another one. So just search my name. I think it's at, it's C. Espinalis on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter as well. I, I don't do as much on it, but I think and, and I don't really, I, I do goofy family stuff for Instagram. So that's a harder one to break into, <laughs> but mostly LinkedIn, yeah. that would be the best place for me. Okay. Sounds yeah. good. Sounds good. Connect with him. Please. Inspired by him. All of those things, but let's do a little brindis and we're going to do it with our cafecito. You know, I wanted to rebrand for this, for this conversation. Um, but I, what I like to do here is close with the virtual cheers and have, give you a platform, give you the space to manifest some good for our Latino community or just our community in general. But what do you want to cheers to? And what do you want to manifest? Yeah. Um, I want to cheers to those, those on a journey of self-discovery, um, of, of understanding who they are, what their family is and, and accepting that. So I want to cheer. I want to cheers those people, and then I, I I think almost manifesting the exact same thing. I want to manifest the community of, of being supportive of one another, whatever our stories are, to continue to uplift what, ourselves, and and be be the community we know we are, that we have to show people. Mm. Mm. Salud. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Finally drinking this coffee. <laughs> That's funny because I, like like cool, I, I feel like I talked the whole time. You could have been. <laughs> I know. I was just like, just whoa, in like deep, in deep, like listening. <laughs> Thank you so much, Colin, for this beautiful conversation, for being vulnerable, and for repping Ecuador. Connect with Colin on Twitter at Colin Espinales and find him on LinkedIn. See y'all next week for more Cafecito and Chisme. For all Hello Latino updates, check out my new IG page at Hello Latino Podcast. You can also follow me on IG at OJasmine4As and find me on LinkedIn. Check out my website, OlalisJasmine.com, for more info. Before I let you go, it's Latino-owned business shout-out time. <laughs> because it's cozy, cuddle, and cupping season, I think y'all need to hear about Oak & Honey Candles, a Latina-owned business, because I swear this candle is like the holidays in a scent. The business started because she wanted to help provide more for her family. And she said after lots of epic failures and wasted money, she found her niche to provide luxury candles at a fraction of the cost. And I think y'all need it. Visit oakandhoney.com for more information and check out my IG page for more on her story and for a picture of the beautiful candles themselves. Con mucho amor, tu amiga hondureña.